Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. A nation mourns the loss of 10 lives in Chrysler. The North Donegal community rallies together ahead of a difficult week. And it's just so difficult. It's, it's, so, it's so heartbreaking. And people that I knew so well, and it's, it's just harrowing. Preparing for final farewells. I'm here in Chrysla in County Donegal, where grieving local families are planning funerals for their loved ones and a community mourns. In other news tonight, dozens of Russian missiles rain down on cities in Ukraine, including the capital, Kyiv, amid a feared escalation of the war. Later, we look at the growing rental crisis. You can join the conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. tonight with the tragedy that has affected a nation, the loss of 10 lives in the County Donegal explosion. The parish priest of Chrysler has said it's harrowing for the community to have to prepare for the funerals of those who died. 10 people lost their lives in the tragedy, ranging in age from just 5 to 59. Tonight, vigils are taking place right across the region, including this gathering in nearby Letterkenny. Well, let's go live now to Chrysler and join Kira Doherty, who is there for us tonight. Kira. Yes, Claire, as you say, I am here in Chrysla, a devastated village in County Donegal. And just off to my right here, you can see the beautiful St Michael's Church uh, lit up. It's become a real focal point for local people here in the village. And just as we were coming on air this evening, we saw many local people pull up and file in to the chapel for rosary, for mass, to give each other comfort and to give each other support. There are, of course, 10 candles permanently lit on the altar there to represent the 10 people who lost their lives last Friday. And many, if not all of those people, will return to that same chapel tomorrow morning at 11am for the first funeral that of 24-year-old Jessica Gallagher, a local girl who was due to start a new job in Belfast today. And all of those people will no doubt return again in the afternoon at two o'clock for a second funeral, that of Martin McGill, a 49-year-old local man. Well, much has been made of the community here and how they have rallied to support those who have been devastated by what happened. But never was that strength as clear as in the aftermath of the explosion on Friday. And just before we came on air this evening, I spoke to Afric McGlade, a retired ICU nurse who arrived on the scene 
just moments after the blast. And I began by asking her what she saw. It was, there was a pall of, of smoke, maybe knee level. Like September 11, we all saw what that was and the smoke that came down. This was probably at knee level. There was, deb there was dust flying um, in the air that, that settled and very concerned people here. And they stayed back and they did stay back. I saw a few people, I said, you have to move back. Um, very difficult because they're worried about family. But it was such a dangerous scene. So it was obvious that the petrol pumps hadn't blown. So something else had done that was there some volatile gas and and at some stage later I saw somebody coming with a digger and I was attending to somebody at the time and I was just said, no no they can't have that because if they if they spark if you know if, if you have the metal on something metal and you get a spark uh, it was it was very dangerous but people they were working methodically and as I as I told you earlier a gentleman needed assistance and I had to climb over the debris and. Uh, you know, so they made it safe for me to do that, as safe as could be. And your background, you are a former ICU nurse, so you knew what to do, but have you ever seen a situation like this before? An ICU nurse, and I have worked in, 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 the, in the developing world. I'm an aid worker, I've worked in well, famine situations, but post the tsunami and post the, the, the earthquake in Haiti. Yeah. But never was I in so soon. Usually we're flown in, I fly in like afterwards and uh, there may be bodies, but it's not in the early the early stages that I have never encountered that. My brother John, who you met earlier, would have encountered the but earlier you'd stages. Never, you'd never encountered a scene like this? Never. And you could just see, like, in, you know, as, as medical people, like, and you're going to do an intervention, is it safe to approach? And it wasn't. But people, even though it looked as if they weren't, they were taking care, they were cautious, they were not moving this because this might happen. Uh, but people, their loved ones were there, their family were there, and their instinct was to go in. And, and, um, but, but also we were trying to make things safe as well. It wasn't, I wasn't there very long. There were cars there. It was obviously it wasn't the petrol pumps. They hadn't mm. blown up. The damage to the car was from debris that fell on top of it. So, you know, double check that there was nobody left in the cars. And, you know, there was some people milling around, making phone calls. So I said, you know, please, sir, move to, move mm. to the side. But then I was attending then to this gentleman in need and then the ambulances came and they were there so fast and methodic and they got in and cleared people. And I said that I was a nurse with ICU background and they, they, they said that you know, look after any walking wounded. And they, they had their system in place, which was to me very effective and still the community. They were they were amazing. I'm joined now by Brendan O'Connor, Garda, Represent Garda Representative Association President, and by Marie Duffy uh, from the Chrysler View and a local resident. You're both uh, very welcome to the programme. I'm very conscious, uh, Brendan, when I was speaking to Africa earlier, she said, you know, I don't want to be handled up as any sort of, uh, you know, a hero. I did what anybody would do in the situation. But there were heroics on Friday, weren't there? There were heroics and I suppose the most heroic actions really came from local people who were just acting on instinct and I think African or peace alluded to people just feeling that they knew what to do and just to see members of the local community, uh, a lot of people just coming from their work, construction workers, farmers and they made their equipment or tools available and they rushed into that scene and they secured the building and, and took away some of the danger that was there. It was a very dangerous environment and those people risked their own lives before the first responders really were able to get on scene and get organised and get their equipment and procedures in place. So 
as I said, is right, nobody is looking for heroes, heroes, no one is looking for glory, the outcome was terrible, it's devastating, and it's nothing, there's nothing positive to come from this story, but certainly the actions of some people at, on that night were absolutely incredible, and will never be forgotten by the people who witnessed it, and the families who, 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 who of those who were saved, and even the families of those who were lost, know that everything was done, could be done to try and save those lives. And we do hear about the first responders being on the scene and the sense that perhaps they've had some training to deal with traumatic situations. But you were there, you're trained, you're a guard, and yet you say you couldn't possibly be prepared for that. No, I don't think you can train for the scenarios. You can train for specific scenarios and what the pr procedures are and the protocols and, and, and health and safety and stuff like that. But I think the rawness and the trauma of it and the scale of what but all the first responders in the community faced on Friday is something that I don't think any training exercise would ever prepare you for. There was a real sense, Marie, wasn't there, in the local village um, on Friday and indeed over the last couple of days of trauma. People do feel traumatised, particularly those who were there on the scene uh, on Friday. Yeah, definitely. Um, as Brendan says, nothing can prepare you for something like this. Um, I suppose locals literally dropped tools and ran to the scene and did whatever they could. Um, Obviously, they don't have any training for this. They're, they've never done anything like that before, but they all did the best that they could, and they, they took risks, and um, everyone's just so grateful to them. And they would have known, of course, many of the people who either were hurt or were killed. Yeah, every, it's a very, very small town. Everybody literally knows everybody, um, and I know that local members uh, were literally... Um, sitting and helping people who were trapped and injured and waiting with them until the emergency services came and it's just unbelievable. You yourself knew eight of the victims? Yeah. That's how close-knit the community is here. Yeah. There's nobody who hasn't been affected. No. Um, I suppose the, the shop itself um, was the hub of the community. Um, you would have bumped into neighbours, friends, colleagues um, multiple times a day if you're in and out to the shop. Um, so I suppose when word came round on Friday afternoon that an incident had happened in the town, we all knew deep down that many locals would have been impacted by it. One of the things that really struck me as I was uh, driving up here today and driving through Kilmacrennan and driving through Creasla were all the signs that said wake, all the local wakes. And there's a really strong tradition, isn't there, here in Donegal for wakes uh, that other people might not understand, but it does bring real comfort to people, doesn't it? Yeah, I suppose uh, wakes are a very, very strong tradition around here, and it's not necessarily always a religious thing. It's very much a community thing. Um, people come together, they help at houses, they literally make tea and sandwiches and comfort each other and offer support. Um, and that's just a small town and over the next few days uh, locals will be supporting their friends, their family, their neighbours and um, it's going to be a very, very difficult few days. Because people will attend every wake, won't they? And every funeral. Well, the chances are that most people in the community know mo mostly everybody or know their family members are connected and want to show support in some way. So I, I would um, assume that most people would, would be attending wakes and funerals, yes. How do the Gardaí, Brendan, begin to comfort local people in this situation? Because there were some very moving images over the weekend of Gardaí simply putting their arms around the shoulders of people who perhaps had lost loved ones or were missing loved ones or weren't sure if their loved ones had survived or not. 
Well, I think it, it's just something that is unique to, to, to Garda Chicana as a policing service, and it is that connection with communities. And as Marie alluded to there, like we are very much part of the communities. And, and you spoke about traditional funerals. It, it's a, always a great effort for the guards even to just be in attendance at funerals. So we're just, we'd like to be there and be of support. And th that very personal touch, and often with tragedies this, and unfortunately we have a very bad record of fatal road traffic collisions mm -hmm. and stuff like that, you see a tradition where the guards who go to the scene nearly feel a sense of ownership of the process and they stay with that family and they'll be there and the same guards will be at that funeral. So even tonight as I was coming here, I've spoken to a couple of the guards who are still on scene and they're the guards that I were there on Friday night. So it's just, it's hard to describe, but they just feel part of an ownership and they need that closure. I think they'll be here till the end. So They feel responsibility, do they? I think they do. And I think they feel, they feel they have a duty of care almost to to those who are lost and to their families to do their absolute best and to be supportive of them. It's just something that's innate as part of our culture and it's very evident at these times. So how do they begin to process then what they've seen and what they've experienced? Is there help there for them? There is help there and I, I was speaking this, this evening to the superintendent from the welfare service and our own local superintendent and our local chief superintendent. So tomorrow morning, tomorrow we're going to start to put that process in place. But I suppose we're slightly unique from the other first responders is that we haven't really been stood in. As I said, the same teams, the same members, the people who were there doing the, 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 the really difficult tasks and the really onerous tasks that are deeply traumatised are still working. So, you know, some people might say take a break, take some time. We just haven't had that opportunity. But some of the members I spoke to, they want to keep busy, they want to keep with it and they want to do the best and control to this investigation as it progresses. Because again, they would have known Lafferty's shop, they would know local people, they would know some of those who lost their lives. Absolutely. Uh, on Friday evening when the call came in, a lot of the members who were scrambled were members who were living locally. They were up there, but some people had half a uniform, some people had no uniform, but they just dropped what they're doing and they came rushing to the scene and they say, as, as, as Marie explained, people who shop in that shop that know the staff, that know that their neighbours, their friends, their, their relations of friends, there just is it was our own that were there that had to be that had to be tried to be rescued and they feel so part of that community and I think that's very evident in the commitment and dedication of our members and they're very they're emotionally involved too. I mean what, what members were involved in what they witnessed just is so it's hard to describe but it does affect people and, and they're deeply deeply affected and part of I think of dealing with that is to, to, to be part of the grieving process which is attending the funerals, being there, supporting their families. They stood there that night with families who were waiting for news as we, we all lived and hoped that maybe there would be a better outcome. So that the members were professionals, we wear a uniform, but we're very much part of the process and part of the grieving process and our, our members are feeling that loss. Mm. And Marie, there is a constant reminder here in the village, isn't there? Because Lafferty's is right on the main road out of Creaslet to bring you to Letterkenny. I mean, it is still closed at the moment, but it will reopen and people will have to pass that point every day. So how do they even begin to, to deal with what they have experienced and to move on in any way, shape or form? It's going to be very, very difficult. Um, I know um, this community has been changed forever. This isn't something that will be resolved in the next few days, weeks or months. This is something that will have generational impact in our community for many, many years to come. And I suppose what there's there's great comfort at the minute because people are helping, people are doing, people are keeping busy. And I suppose the danger is when the wakes and the funerals are, are all over, um, the reality might hit then. And I suppose it's just very important that people realise that it might not have hit them yet. And to ask for support 
and to, it might might not be today or tomorrow but they might need it in the weeks and the months ahead because there has been support i know we're looking at photographs from the vigil in letterkenny this evening but there were vigils right around the county and there has been an international response to this story does that bring some consolation some support to people it does um we are overwhelmed as a community um from the support from absolutely everybody all over the world. Um, we're, we're a very small, rural, isolated community here in northwest of the country. Um, sometimes in a rural community, you can feel very disconnected from the big cities and the big towns. But listen, everyone has just been amazing. I've had thousands and thousands of messages on our Facebook page, The Crease of You. Uh, the same for Twitter. People wanting to donate money, people wanting to help, to um, offer supplies, food, absolutely anything. Um, many because there is a strength here, I think, in Donegal. We do sometimes feel a little bit cut off, don't we, from yeah. the rest of the country it can feel like it's you know Donegal on its own but it does lead to a strong sense of community and a sense of county. Most definitely um, anybody who's from Donegal is very proud to be from Donegal and I'm sure people are sick listening to people from Donegal uh, talking about the county but this is a very small community and it's just amazing to see how we have all rallied around each other um, it feels although everyone's very hollow and very shell-shocked it feels comforting to know that we have each other and that community groups and people all over the country and the world are thinking of us and offering support. And finally Brandon I did get a sense this evening though that people are exhausted now aren't they? Mentally, physically, emotionally exhausted. They have a very tough few days ahead and they are looking for space now to mourn and grieve. Very much so and there's just as you say that sense of fatigue and what but th that resilience and that strength is there to get through those next few days and that's for within the community within the members that I represent because we're going to do the best we can to honour the dead and, and see that their funerals are, are managed from our perspective and, and ease as okay. as much as we can on families. All right we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, Brendan O'Connor and Marie Duffy thank you both for taking the time to speak to me this evening. Uh, let's go back to you in studio Claire. Thank you for that, Kira. And I'm joined here by Fianna Fáil Minister of State, Dara Kaliri, Sinn Féin TD, Matt Carthy, and Sinead O'Carroll, editor of thejournal.ie. Um, and just watching um, the reaction there from Chrysla tonight, Kira speaking uh, to two people at the very heart of the community. Of course, every victim of this tragedy was at the very heart of that tiny community. And what really struck me, Dara Kaliri, was when they spoke about St. Michael's Church, you could see in the background there, and the 10 <coughs> candles on the altar, one for each victim, and the harrowing days ahead as a community says its goodbyes one by one. It's going to be a very cruel week. Um, our, our thoughts are with our, all of the families, um, our thoughts are with the injured. Uh, and with the entire community. And I know they were very reluctant there to be described as heroes, but their reaction since Friday has been phenomenal. Um, and, and our thoughts are with them now as they prepare for this, as somebody described it as a marathon of funerals, but for each of those families, it's just so heartbreaking. It's so random. You know, there are people who are going about doing things we all do. Every Friday, I'm sure if everybody thinks where they were last Friday at half three, and that in the middle of that, your whole life could change. And you know, they're out of this awful darkness is coming to light with that amazing community and the amazing support that they're getting. And I heard Father John Joe Duffy, the parish priest there, who's been absolutely extraordinary over the last few days. I heard him saying earlier he felt that Christa was being hugged by the world, the, such as the support that they're getting. 
and it feels that way. But I think Marie Duffy is also right there. This will change this community forever. And we're all here tonight and we will be here and we will walk that journey with them in yeah. these coming days. But we have to walk with them for weeks, for months and for years ahead. And we have to be, keep them in our prayers. Mm -hmm. We have to keep the supports there most importantly. Yeah because many people won't be affected by this for weeks and for months, and they need to have those supports when it hits them. Yeah, such um, an unbelievably uh, overwhelming tragedy for such a tiny place, Matt. Um, and in terms of that support, it will be vital, really, won't it, for that community um, to be supported right up and down the country? Yeah, I know Crystal well. I've re relations living in nearby Dunfanaghy. I represented the area as an MEP, so I was um, in Lafferty's shop. I don't know how many times, just to, as many people were on Friday, fill the car up with diesel or to um, to, to buy something in the shop. Um, and you know, while everyone was just stunned and shocked by what had happened on Friday. I don't think anyone that knew Krishna and the people around it would have been surprised at all by the stories we've heard of the community reaction because, you know, loads of people, it's one of those towns that people from all over the, the country and even internationally know because it is a sort of a stop off if you're on the Wild Atlantic um, way and it's such a friendly place, such, you know, a real sense of community and I have to say I'm just so, so sorry for them all that they're going through this and that forever the village of Creeslaw is going to be associated with just the devastation that um, emerged on mm. Friday after, afternoon. And the only thing that we can hope, because of course Star is right, we'll all, and hopefully all the state agencies and all um, the, the country will support them, but they're going to be reliant on that community spirit to get them through this. The families that have lost people, mm. all of those who have lost friends, colleagues, you know, and just that sense of a whole, because when you're talking about a village of, I think, 400 people, you know, and 10 lives, young lives, all, uh, yeah. all um, you know, that's going to that's gonna have um, a big, big scar, um, and I just hope that they get through it. And Sinead, it goes beyond, of course, that the small village of Creasla, surrounding towns as well, um, have had, you know, victims from there who were in the shop at the time, uh, devastating for the, the entire region, as we saw by the vigils uh, taking place tonight, and really in conjunction with this, an investigation as well into what happened and dealing with that too. Yeah, there's kind of so many things happening at the same time for, for everyone up in Donegal. It's interesting now what Kira was saying, obviously from Donegal, about how important the wakes are. And you get that sense that the whole of the country is trying to, to mourn with the people up in Creasla. Like they're they're trying to learn about the lives of, of the 10 people. So they're not just knowing them in death, that they're knowing them in life. Like Jessica's starting her fashion job in Belfast today. Leona loving uh, Liverpool and rugby and just, you know, getting to know those, th those people so that we can mourn them. And you get that sense from people that, yes, Donegal will mourn them more than, than the rest of us can, but but everyone is joining them. And I think there there must be comfort in that um, for the people up there, that it's not, you know, they talked about being disconnected. They're not disconnected in this like terrible mm -hmm. moment. Okay, well, we'll, well, we will be back with more from County Donegal later on in the programme. Uh, coming up next, the country's rental crisis. Do stay with us.
Welcome back. Dara, Matt and Sinead are still here with me. And I'm also joined now by Cork Estate Agent Mark Rose and student Jessica McGurr to talk about the rental crisis. And Jessica, I want to come to you first because your story made headlines when you went looking for accommodation um, going back to college in Galway. You couldn't find anything at all. What situation did that leave you in? Yeah, um, so whenever I went back to college in Galway, I had nowhere to live. So I just lived out of my car and I had to go between friends' houses and just stay in their beds or on their floors or like anywhere I could find, really. Um, so how, how long? I mean, just to give us, you know, just. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. An idea of how long you were looking for a place and... and what you found when you did go looking, I presume mm. you would have you would have shared or you were looking at all options that might have been open to you yeah. as the college year was starting and you're kind of under pressure to get a place, aren't you? Yeah, well, like I knew it's really bad in Galway. I'd known from the year before we really struggled to get somewhere. So I started looking in like March, April time and I was on daft like every single day, always sending emails, always trying to call people, like emailing different estate agents and things like that, trying to find a house. And I was doing that the whole way through the summer. And then in September, college was starting and I still had nothing. And I was like checking everything, like the Facebook groups, like looking for any room, even like I was looking in like Headford, Toome, you know, anywhere outside mm -hmm. where I could commute because I can't drive. So I could have drove. So you were using your car as a base and other people's sofas as a place to sleep. Yeah. So like I would wake up in the morning and like shower at their house and then go on into college. And then like in between classes or like, you know, if my friends were working and stuff like that, I would just have nowhere to go. So I just go to the car and I would just stay there, like go to the library at college. But the car was like the only place that was mine that I could go. I mean, you know, I know it's really hard to actually comprehend that. I mean, you, you may now think, well, look, because you'll tell us that you did eventually get lucky and you did get somewhere. But at that moment when you actually found I've nowhere else to go. I literally have to sit in my car and I presume it was packed up with your life. Yeah, I had like my whole life in my car. I had like all my clothes and then I had this like fold up bed and like a sleeping bag. So I would like move my bed around from house to house. 
so I had somewhere to stay. And I just had everything in my car. And then, like, you know, I had all my stuff in there. If somebody robbed my car, that's, like, my whole life. It was a desperate situation. Yeah. So you, you took to social media to tell your story. Yeah, so I made a TikTok about it. And then I got loads of responses from that TikTok. And that's how I actually found somewhere to live. Then someone commented that their mum had a house. And she got me a room then in a, in a house. So I was sorted then from that. So you've landed on your feet now and you, you have a room. Yeah. Um, are you worried, though? Are you worried about potentially losing that again and that search that'll have to happen yeah. potentially next year? Exactly. Like, the room that I have now is just for the academic year, so I lose it in May. So I will go back to Donegal then when I'm finished college, but then I'm back to square one. I still have a year left to college, so I don't know what I'm going to do for next year. I just can't imagine that it'll get any better, the situation, really. Yeah. Mark, what does it say about this day and age and the rental crisis <laughs> that someone has to take to social media to say they're living out of their car in order to potentially find a place to live. I mean, how bad are things? You're on the ground in Cork. Um, you must have heard stories similar to, similar to Jessica's. Uh, every single day. And to be honest, it's heartbreaking. Um, so we're a second generation family business in Cork and we've done this for 28 years. So we um, rent out houses, we rent out apartments. Um, we sell properties as well. And because we do that, I can see investors coming into the market and investors leaving the market. But I've never, ever seen supply so low than in the last year or yep. so. And it's getting worse. And just for your viewers this evening, uh, some figures to make it real or to put it out there. In 2009, if a tenant logged into Daft, they had the choice of 24,000 properties to choose from. And that was enough for rents to be falling. Now, the most recent DAFT report shows that we've got 700 properties for the whole country. So we're down to 3% of what we had if we call 24,000 100%. So to put it a different way, we've lost 97% of the advertised supply that we had. That is beyond unsustainable. That's it's chronic, crazy. and you're giving those figures out there, but many people looking to rent will be so well aware of that. Mm. Um, question is, Mark, why do you believe it's happening? Why do you believe we've seen such a dramatic drop? <clears throat> like, even I think back in August, there was around 700 properties. But compared to the year before, there were 2,500. Now, that might have been influenced by the pandemic in part. Yeah. But we've seen a, a massive drop, as you've outlined there. So, two words, unintended consequences. So, the government is under pressure to introduce policy and legislation to protect people. I am genuinely very concerned that the policies that they're bringing in are not helping. And not only not helping, I think that they're actually making... This is a supply crisis. So this is all about supply. Nothing else matters. Get supply now, not in one or two years or five years, supply now. And some of the policies that are in there, they sound good, but I promise you, and I can tell you from examples, I'd like to go into detail on how that's actually taking supply out of the market. So rent controls sound great. Uh, protect the most vulnerable people in society. There's nobody in this studio that would argue with that premise if they worked. And I can tell you from working in the industry mm. for 14 years, they're not working. They haven't worked. And they're actually making things worse. So the lowest, the most affordable rental properties are currently the ones being bled out of the market the fastest. 
And I'd like to explain why that's happening. You're saying because these rental controls are in place, landlords want out. I'm saying that there's um, the incentives are totally skewed and on their head. So rent controls in Ireland, if you sell a property in Ireland, the rent controls pass from the old owner to mm. the new property owner. So there's a legal mechanism, even if there's nobody living in the property, if that property has been rented in the last two years, the new property owner has a legal obligation to keep the rent at a very small percentage okay. around that old level. And that is causing massive difficulties. Okay, Sinead. Yeah, we hear this all the time. And I would like you to explain a bit more because I looked up at the properties that are in Galway at the moment. So the six properties available for renting uh, on DAFT at the moment at Galway City mm -hmm. Centre. Two of them were being rented for two and a half thousand for a two bed. And I looked at the, the to see the pictures and one of them didn't have a picture of the second bedroom, which we all know if we've rented. Uh, guys, am I right? I'm not sure if you've ever rented in this environment. If there's not a picture of the second bedroom, you're, you're talking about a very small room. So you're talking about over a thousand each. And the mortgage on that is not anywhere close to that. So uh, we understand that a lot of landlords want to make money from doing very little, but like, where is the gap then? Are they just not making enough money? Why well, do they want to let, leave let it? Let me finish like, what I had started there. Yeah. So, okay, let's take an example, okay? So Joe and Mary Murphy buy an apartment in Cork to rent it out. They have zero interest in chasing a high rent, okay? So they rent the property out at a thousand. But say this isn't the example I gave. Well, I'm giving the example of the two and a half thousand for a two bed. So that is a high rent. you let me finish. <laughs> yeah, but just, but just on that note, I think, you mm. know, what Sinead is saying as well, like despite what you're saying about rent, say even rental caps in place, we have seen rent rises of, you know, 9% since that's the start because, of this year. That's because you're disincentivizing landlords All right. to set fair okay. and affordable I just want to, I, Yeah, I want to just um, get uh, Derek Cleary in on this. Are you disincentivizing landlords? Like, is, this, is it a difficulty within government? We had, you know, it's sort of been mooted pre-budget that Leo Varadkar would like to give, or, the, you know, the Fine Gael would be in favour of maybe a, a, a tax relief, a tax break to landlords there, that the worry is that they are leaving the market and this is resulting in a huge drop of available private rental supply. Look, there, there's a couple of things. Um, firstly, we want to increase the overall supply. So, for instance, for, for Jessica, there will be over 600 new student-specific rooms in Galway next year. So hopefully you won't have to go through what you have to go through this year. Uh, they're coming on specifically for students uh, as part of over 1,100 specific student rooms that will come on in the next um, 12 months. Uh, housing for All is taking hold. Uh, this year we'll see record completions. Uh, not record, but yeah, the highest I'm not completions no, Let's say just years. addressing the, the, no, the, it's the, the crisis uh, right now when we are seeing the such, supply. A, such a small Coming number of regulations. It is important that tenants are protected. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we had a situation where there were no protections for many times for tenants. And I'm dealing with people every day, as I'm sure Matt is, that they're getting, uh, they were being told, you have to go, you've only months to go. The protections are there now from the RPT to give people a chance to try and get other accommodation. Do you think we're likely to see? Do you think we're likely to see an eviction ban this winter? So look, it's legally has to be watertight, and that's why there are negotiations with the uh, Attorney General at the moment. You have seen, we've seen it this evening. There are other people with different perspectives who have the resources to take legal challenges. So what we proceed with has to be legally watertight, but we don't want to affect supply. But we do not want to leave tenants and people who are renting 
absolutely unprotected either. Mm. That cannot be allowed to happen. Um, Matt Carty, what would you say to what Mark has to say about, you know, if you do more and if there's more government intervention, what we're likely to see, whether we like it or not, is a dwindling rental supply. So therefore, people simply can't rent a place. You have a situation where you have people, you know, knocking down doors of estate agents, queuing round the block in order to see one property that may be completely substandard, uh, something that Sinead has alluded to there. Well, I have to say, listen to Jessica's story. The one thing that struck me is that TikTok has a better record of housing delivery than this government because the problem is that we're dealing with a dysfunctional market. The people who um, um, students are competing with in terms of rental property are people who in any other generation would have been in their own home, either through being able to um, secure a mortgage and purchase or um, have, have been allocated a social house. And it's because of the failure to actually provide those social housing that we have um, the knock-on crisis in terms of the private um, sector that has led to a knock-on um, crisis in terms of the rental sector. So we have to get back the basics right. And here's the unfortunate facts of the matter. The government's housing plan is failing on every single metric. We have the highest um, rates of homelessness ever in the mm -hmm. history of the state. Sorry. We have the highest house prices, the highest rent prices, the and the government has pathetic targets, and you're not even going to meet them, Dara. The highest in number terms of, of completions in, in 2022 housing, you're not in going 15, to actually meet them. The highest number of completions in 15 years. It's a very good start, and we know we have a lot to do. But the, to the, say the, it's the failing targets. one year into the pressure is it there. Is the pressure is there really on the social housing bill because their housing plan Year old, plan is and every single year metric on is it, ahead of target. But the most important thing is we get supply up, we get supply increased. That's happening. And that, that supply is a social housing supply. It's, being, which it's is... happening in all the spheres. And yes, I yeah. want to see social housing and I want to see affordable housing. But we also have to do that whilst protecting tenants. Right. Uh, and, you know, certainly Mark makes some valid points, but to take away the protections is unfair to Briefly, Mark, on that. So you can see the two guys... Housing has been kicked around like a political football for years and the market is what's suffering in the middle. So landlords, if they're incentivized to set fair rents, they'll set fair rents. If somebody sets a low rent at the moment, they lose value on their property. If that incentive is there, that's bonkers. So the minister knows this. If somebody sets a low rent on their property mm. and they go to sell it, that property is worth less. So is that the right incentives that we want out there? But it depends on if you want to keep inflating house prices. Like, if, if we want to keep inflating house prices, then, then your argument Let's makes sense. But Let's be fair, OK? If somebody okay, asks you to use... Yeah. Sorry, we're just out of time on this subject. We will, of course, be returning to it Um because it's such a big issue for so many people. We will have to leave it there, I'm afraid. My thanks to my panel tonight, uh, Dara, Matt, Sinead, Mark and Jessica. Coming up next, Russia rains missiles on Ukraine and we're back in Donegal with Kira. So do stay with us. Welcome back. Let's go back now to Creaseland, County Donegal, and join Kira Doherty again. Kira. Thank you, Claire. I am here in Creasley and I've been joined by Zara King, Virgin Media News correspondent. Uh, Zara, you've been here since Friday covering this awful tragedy, and you really get a sense here, don't you, that the wider community feel a little bit helpless. You know, people want to show their support. They want to show local people they care. And they are doing that. They are gathering. 
Yeah, they are, Kira, and I think that's been really important for people, actually, is that feeling of sort of they're at home and they're watching the news and I think they feel like they want to do something. So coming out for the likes of vigils and we see behind us here the wrapping up of that rosary tonight, I think that being together is very important for people and that's what you hear from them. I think that even um, getting a chance to sign a book of condolence, making a tray of sandwiches, like, you know, it's instinctive in people that they want to do something to help. Um, I was here, I came up Friday night and I was here on Saturday. I was away on Sunday and came back today and even being away for 20 four hours and coming back to the community today I think the thing that has struck me the most actually is that um, perhaps in the beginning there was a numbness and now the reality is really setting in and um, the, the difficult part for people is that um, the disbelief kind of turns into reality when people are given back the bodies and they're organising funerals and their loved ones will be buried this week and it's the it's the quick turnaround of that I think that has really really struck people. Um, tonight at the vigil in Letterkenny again that opportunity for people to come together to uh, pay tribute to people who knew people in this community, people who are total strangers, came from all over Donegal and it was uh, the warmth and the kindness of those individuals. Mm. One lady who we happened to speak to was a nurse on duty in Letterkenny General Hospital uh, on Friday night and here's what she had to say. See, the previous night I was working and I wake up very late, so I didn't know that until 7 o'clock that this incident happened. Uh, so when I entered, the hospital was completely closed and it was only kept open for the, you know, the major incident. Uh, so everybody was very cooperative and uh, the uh, you know the staff who were on sick leave they came to work and uh, we were working together as a team so yeah. it was really heartbreaking one of my colleagues and a few was killed and uh, it was so shocking to he was working on that night too so it was so sad that vigil this evening at seven o'clock in Letterkenny, just about 20 minutes up the road. And those vigils, Zara, repeated right around the county over the last couple of days because you do get the sense that everyone does know everyone here or everyone knows somebody who's been impacted. Yeah, Kira, they do. And it was interesting. I know you were talking to Brandon O'Connor earlier on about this and something that he said really resonated with me because it really reflected what I'd heard from people at the vigil was this idea that um, when he talked about the rescue mission at the time on Friday, he said it was our own that was there and needed to be rescued. And, you know, um, Patrick McFadden, a gentleman from the village here who came in to Letterkenny for that vigil tonight, said his brother was one of the first on the scene and he just ran in there, you know, pulling rubble, doing what they could. I know uh, Brendan spoke and actually it was at Africa was... Uh, excellent the lady who spoke to this uh, earlier on at uh, the ICU nurse who talked about how as a community they just kind of coordinated themselves like these are not people who are first responders necessarily they're just people who uh, really want to rescue their own and uh, Patrick spoke about that at the vision we can take a listen to what he had to say my brother was there right away yeah and he helped take some of the victims out you know you know I'm and his friend John Boyle you know those things do happen uh, just a serious accident was it you know when you know everybody, you know, know the place, know everything, and what's different. Uh, there's been a huge, quite remarkable international response mm. to this uh, story, Zara. Um, and we also know that the first funeral is going to take place tomorrow and that the president uh, will be attending some of those funerals yeah. but will be meeting with many of the families here in Chrysler. Yes, yeah, so we had a statement today from the Oris Kira just talking about that. So Michael D. Higgins um, intends to come on Wednesday and attend all the funerals after Wednesday. Uh, he just can't make it tomorrow. So his aide-de-camp will be here tomorrow. He's actually speaking, uh, the statement says, in Strasbourg, addressing 
facing the Council of Europe. So it is his intention to stay and to attend all the other funerals. Um, and he also speaks about the fact in that statement um, that he will go on then to meet all of the families, including the funerals that he can't attend and the emergency services, because I think there's a huge recognition here that um, the emergency services, while people are trained for these things, what they faced on Friday is a really uh, unique situation and a really shocking situation. Um, in terms of, I guess, Kira, what you hear from people again at the vigil, just to kind of echo some of the things that came up, I suppose, it's that sliding doors moment that people talk about, that, you know, a split second could have made, you know, all the difference. And that's what's really devastating for people. And it's the relatability of, you know, going to the local shop on your way home, popping in to get petrol or diesel, that it's something that all of us do. And it's the senseless nature of this. Um, the investigation. We do, it. we do it all the time. Zara, on yeah. a daily basis. But you and I spoke about shopping in the shop as we were coming here today, didn't we? And, yeah. And, and you never think about no. the risk. It's not one of life's risks. No, it's not. And, and you know, it's, it's the senseless nature of it. I mean, the investigation does continue into this mm-hmm. Kira. And of course, um, you know, investigators will get to the bottom of what exactly happened. They are treating this as a tragic accident. There is no reason to suspect foul play in this. And um, they've brought in international investigators from all over the world. These are people who specialise in blasts. I'm told that they are very uniquely specialising in that. And you can see, like, up at the scene, that investigation continues every single day. And it could take a couple of days, but they will get to the bottom of it. But in the meantime, these families are grieving. All right, we'll leave it there. Uh, Zara King, thank you for speaking to us this evening. That's it from us in Chrysler. Uh, we send our love and our prayers to all of those who have been impacted by this awful, awful tragedy. Back to you, Claire. Thank you, Kira. Uh, well, to other news now. Uh, Ukraine says at least 11 people have been killed in a Russian missile strikes on Kyiv and other major cities. Russia says the attacks are in response to the bombing of a symbolic bridge connecting it to occupied Crimea. Well, it's the first time in months that Ukraine's capital has been targeted, leading to fresh calls for Western help in defending its airspace. Well, earlier I spoke to Ukrainian MP Kira Rudik, who's in Brussels, about reaction to the latest Russian attacks. Well, it's not only parks. Um, it's actually uh, the most devastating was the children's playground that was hit by Russian missile. There was no particular reason for that. But it still happened. You know, the most important point that we learned about ourselves today is how much we changed since the day one when similar attacks on Kiev happened, when people were uh, disoriented, when people were frustrated, but still resolved to fight. Today, the organization was much better. People knew what to do. People were helping each other, supporting each other, and um, going to the bomb shelters in a very organized manner. Even the children at schools uh, went to bomb shelters when they heard the um, air raid sirens, and uh, it worked like really, really well. So, which decreased the amount of people killed, and again showed that uh, we may be heartbroken, but we are not broken. Also give, and, gives that indication, uh, Kira, I suppose, about how long this war has gone on for um, and how sadly maybe becoming used to it that, that, that people in Kiev and other cities are. Um, President Vladimir Putin said he ordered these massive long-range strikes after 
um, the attack on the bridge linking Russia to the annexed Crimean Peninsula. Was a retaliation like this and at this scale, do you believe it was expected? Were people expecting it? Well, people expected that Putin will try to cover his military defeats with some military attacks. What they were not expecting was that, again, civilian infrastructure and our uh, and, and uh, uh, playgrounds would be hit by rockets, of course. You know, saying that it is a retaliation for the bridge explosion is, again, like, it's kind of victim blaming saying, okay, yeah, well, she was wearing such a short skirt and this is why um, the, she was attacked. We were a sovereign country from the very beginning and um, whatever we are doing and every single step that we are taking is we are fighting for our own survival. Carriage Bridge was the uh, way for weapons to be delivered to our southern front. And it was not supposed to be built in the first place because it was built to illegally annex Crimea after it was illegally annexed. So the question that we have right now after all of these distractions uh, that happened throughout the country is that the upsetting point that on the eight months of the war, we are still asking our allies for the same thing that on the day one, to help us by whatever means are there to protect our skies and make sure that we can protect our cities and our citizens. Ukrainian MP Kira Rudik there speaking to me earlier. And that is it from us. Well, we'll leave you tonight with some images from the vigils taking place in Donegal. But from all the late team here, good night. Take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.